The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Thursday, so John Gibbons is with us. But before we talk to John, I want to bring Alan O'Reilly from Carlo Weather in because, Alan, you were with us yesterday talking about the long-term problems for Cork in dealing with uh, global warming. And we have an example of it happening today. Tell us about the, the orange weather alert that there is for Cork today. Thanks, Matt. Yes, there's already rainfall, obviously, falling in the south of the country. But the problem is it's going to fall for the next 36 hours at least, with very heavy rainfall tonight through tomorrow and into tomorrow evening. Some of the weather models are showing up to 80 millimetres of rain, which for context would be the average monthly rainfall at many parts of the country. So very heavy rainfall, an orange warning for Cork and Waterford, and some of the models showing possibly South Kilkenny could see that as well. So a very wet spell with a lot of rainfall to come over the next 36 hours. But also, further complicated for Cork now, thankfully we don't have high winds at the moment, but there is a high tide which is going to come in at around 6 o'clock in the morning, pushing water up the River Lee at a time when there will be water coming down the river from the dam at Inniscarra. That's where the potential danger for flooding in Cork City lies, isn't it? Yes, indeed. High tide is just after 6.30, I think, in the morning. So obviously you're going to have a lot of rainfall overnight. You're going to have a lot of rainfall, as you say, coming down into the river. And then you're going to have high tide along with that. Thankfully, no strong winds pushing extra water back in. But it is a bad combination and areas that are prone to flooding should certainly be on alert and uh, be ready to act in terms of how they respond to floodgates, sandbags, etc. And I suppose that comes down to what we were discussing last night, isn't there? That the impact of global warming is already present in our weather. And what you were arguing, I think, last night was as well as doing all of the things to try and stop making things worse... We've got to take actions to protect against ourselves against the things that are already happening. Yeah, that's exactly it, Matt. I mean, I 100% say that we have to cut our emissions. We all have to make lifestyle changes. We have to dramatically change our energy usage, etc., to lower those emissions. But we also have to adapt and we have to invest in adaptation adaptation and into how we respond, how we fund those that will be called to respond, like the firefighters, etc. And if we don't plan to, you know, to be able to respond to these events, then unfortunately we're going to suffer some dire consequences. You know, it's not either or, it's both. And I think, you know, unfortunately a lot of the conversation, you know, is around mitigation, but there's very little of the conversation around adaptation. And that's basically where I'm trying to, you know, put my opinion across is that we have to adapt. You know, that report then on Cork talks about Cork getting to net zero. If Cork gets to net zero even by the end of this year, it's still going to have to adapt to these weather extremes. We cannot control the climate around the globe or over Ireland by simply cutting here in Ireland. Obviously, as a wealthy country, we have to do more than most, but we have to be realistic that we are still going to see weather events. John Gibbons, that's a very fair position to take, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I, I would certainly start by agreeing uh, with Alan. Of course, we have to do uh, both adaptation and mitigation. I think that that's pretty clear. It is very important to stress that we, as a rich country who are also, by the way, the highest per capita polluters in Europe. We have the onus is on rich countries like Ireland to do, to lead on mitigation because poor countries like, like Libya, for example, they're having to deal with the brunt of climate impacts that they didn't cause. It's the high impact emissions from countries like Ireland that are fueling the climate emergency. That means that the moral imperative, Matt, is on high emissions countries like Ireland to do you, it. You know what the argument which is already coming in from listeners is in relation to that? We're a tiny country country, we only have a 
tiny proportion of these emissions, anything that we do is not going to impact on what's happening. Sure, it's the same argument that says that a particular province in China, the size of Ireland, is only a tiny province. And you can take that argument right around the world and everybody can agree that everybody else does nothing. But let me just go back to the the mitigation versus adaptation thing. It's an incredibly important distinction. So I want to use a simple analogy. Let's say you're in a boat and there's a hole in the boat, right? You can adapt, Matt. And by the way, the hole's getting bigger. You can adapt to that hole by bailing out the water out of the the boat. Now, that is what we call adaptation. You're attempting to keep the boat afloat by bailing the water out. Now, you can do that, but as the hole gets bigger, eventually that's going to fail. Now, mitigation says that, okay, you do a certain amount of bailing out the water, but the critical thing you've got to do is you have to focus resources on patching up the hole. Now, patching up the hole, the global equivalent here is shutting down emissions and getting our carbon emissions under control. And that is the focus of shutting that hole falls on rich countries, high pollution countries like Ireland. And I'm worried that people with the best of intentions who are trying to change the argument away from our responsibility to mitigate and instead basically taking the Mayfane approach of, well, we'll just look after ourselves. That, first of all, it, it decries our moral responsibility. But secondly, Matt, when you say I'm going to adapt, let's take Cork. I'm going to adapt to what? Okay, adapt away to half a metre of sea level rise. Brilliant. Invest a billion euros to, to, to thwart half a metre of sea level rise. But if the hole keeps getting bigger, guess what? Next thing you're at a metre of sea level rise. Next thing you're at two metres. So all the spending on adaptation goes down the swanny. I understand that, John, but isn't the problem being that if you actually say, even if we did all of the mitigation possible here in Ireland, if we did everything we possibly could, that the sea levels will still rise by a half a metre and we'll still have to invest money to protect Cork from flooding. I completely agree. However, at a certain point, we have to hold the line. Let's say, Matt, we've just spent a billion euros, right, uh, buttressing up the defences of Cork against a half a metre sea level rise, okay? Now, unless we're spending like hell on mitigation, well, then all that money is wasted because we will get not a metre, we'll get a metre and a half, we'll get two metres. This is why the, the adaptation fallacy, the notion that like Canute, that we can hold back the sea by adapting to it. No, we can't. The only way we can we can get on top of this is by cutting emissions. And there is a temptation in rich countries like Ireland to avoid taking difficult decisions on cutting emissions and instead say, look, we'll just adapt. I'm, I'm worried that it's increasingly becoming a cop-out. Alan O'Reilly, it was very interesting to hear on the 5 of 5 as well that the World Meteorological Organization is saying that one of the big reasons we have had this tragedy in Libya and have had tens of thousands of deaths and a destruction of a city is because they don't have a good enough weather forecasting system and that the troubles in that country have stopped them actually doing things which could have prevented this. Yes, I heard that report, Matt, and I think it really highlighted the point I was making yesterday about the lack of flood forecasting that we have. So we do have weather warning systems. Thankfully, we have a very good operational Met service in Met Aaron. Libya, unfortunately, don't. So they didn't know what was coming. They weren't able to evacuate or, you know, prepare for that. But we really need to up our preparation and our warning system. And we need that flood warning system live. And we need people to pay heed to it. Because I've mentioned on your show before, Matt, there is a bit of weather warning fatigue in this country, especially when it comes to yellow weather warnings. You know, we're going to have a lot of rain 
today and tonight. We're going to have more tomorrow and we may have more on Sunday and possibly more next week. And it's the cumulative effect of that can have a, a real impact. So we need to get the warning system right. Like, for example, there's very little wind tonight. I signed up to ESB Networks. I got a text to me saying that there's going to be an event on the network tonight between 5 and 7 p.m. to make sure not use a lot of energy. You know, we need that type of communication to people. And I would just add, as as a mitigation factor, I've got solar panels on my house and I have a, a battery that has fully charged from the solar today. So I won't be using any electricity from the grid between 5 and 7 p.m. But we need to in, in, encourage and actually adapt more towards how we're going to change our usage and also how we're going to prepare for these events. Thank you, Alan O'Reilly from Carla Weather for being with us. John Gibbons. Coming on from that, what are these nine key planetary boundaries mapped by scientists, six of which have already been breached by humanity? Uh, that's right, Matt. The, this is, comes from the uh, Stockholm uh, Institute. And they basically, it's, it's tracking, if you like, the, the, the nine key planetary uh, limits. And these cover things from... from land system changes, freshwater usage, uh, carbon dioxide, um, phosphorus and nitrogen and so on. So these have been tracked over time. And what they've discovered is that basically, uh, as of 2023, six of the nine key planetary limits have been uh, basically, or the key, the key planetary boundaries have been breached. So that's the situation that we're in now. I suppose if I were to translate it into, into medical terminology, it would be like simultaneously experiencing heart failure and liver failure and uh, your lungs in poor condition and so Jeez, on. you won't survive all those together. Well, I guess the trick really, I mean, even heart failure, for example, isn't terminal if it's treated, right? That's the really important thing here. No one's talking about throwing the towel in. I would say as well, Matt, some of these are quite interesting. For example, uh, we know that the, the biosphere integrity has actually that that boundary was breached in the 19th century, right? The freshwater usage boundary was breached in the early 20th century. In fact, uh, the only boundary that is probably in, in a healthy condition, believe it or not, is ozone depletion. And of course, your older listeners will remember that ozone uh, back in the 1980s was a huge crisis, but it was dealt with by a strong How scientific response. How was it dealt with? It was dealt with by... all by, of us stopping using spray-on deodorants? Well, the whole thing, basically we phased out CFCs that were destroying the ozone whole and in the Montreal Protocol that was passed in 1987 we had a global agreement. That was a, a curious time in our history when politicians actually listened to science. We reacted to it, we basically healed the, the, the ozone layer to a large extent. Now it, it is still damaged, it will continue uh, to recover. But it's healing, isn't oh, it? Oh it is healing uh, but the point is it's back within safe uh, planetary uh, boundaries if you like and the, and the key thing, the purpose if you like of this study is to point out that we can't just keep smashing through boundaries. It's like you're speeding on a car down the road and, you know, there's a barrier on the road and it says slow down, slow down and you smash through that barrier and then the next barrier and so on. So of the nine planetary boundaries, as I say, we have now broken through six of them. Uh, carbon dioxide, uh, what are called novel entities. This is uh, pollutants, chemicals. We've introduced hundreds of thousands of new chemicals into, into, our, into our atmosphere. Uh, for example, we know that on an annual basis around the world we're using three times the safe levels of phosphorus and nitrogen is being added basically particularly through agriculture and this is overwhelming waterways we've seen it here in Ireland it's overwhelming lakes estuaries and creating dead zones in the sea we, we, 
We spoke recently about the, the 400 kilometre dead zone that's developing in Loch Ney on our own island as a result of the overuse of nitrogen and phosphorus. So these are kind of warning signals that are flashing, amber lights, if I can put it that way. Okay, well, just to finish, I know you're speaking at a conference tomorrow hosted by the Psychological Society of Ireland titled A New Climate for Psychology. But in particular, there's apparently been an upsurge in what's called climate anxiety, especially among the young. But is that your responsibility? <laughs> is it that you're scaring the bejesus out of so many people and they would say unnecessarily? Well, I would hope that that's not the case, Matt, and I'm sure you, you, you'd agree that the purpose of these conversations really is to work our way through it. And, and, and certainly my contribution tomorrow, I will file it under tough love. I'm there to try to set out the facts particularly as clearly and as plainly as possible and there are many more, far more qualified people to discuss the psychology of climate change. But will you ask them why it is that people don't want to listen or want to deny? I, I believe, and, and also, let's, let's be honest, denial is, is a very human thing. Right, for example, we all, we're all going to die. Sorry to break it to you. We're all going to die, yet we're all deeply in denial about our own mortality. So denial, in fact, as a sort of a defence mechanism, it helps us get out of bed in the morning, it helps us go about our lives, because sometimes there's a sort of a limit to how much anxiety we can take on, even listening to me. So we all kind of have to manage our way through that. And I think denial in small doses is healthy. In large doses, when it prevents us from taking the action that we need to make our worlds a safer place, then that's a problem. And as I say, there'll be... Uh, highly qualified uh, panel tomorrow to tease all of this out. And you'll be there as well. And I'm sorry to say, I'm sorry to say Matt, it's sold out, so no tickets available. Standing room only. John Gibbons, thank you very much. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.